you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So thankful to have finished Ezra last week, and um, I've been reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 over the last year or so. Um, And as we're getting ready to celebrate Easter, I couldn't think of a better time to to jump into to Ezra chapter 15, or not Ezra, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and so we'll be here for the next several weeks as we build up to our celebration on April 4th, which will be um, our Easter celebration. And the reason I picked um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is because this is the, the chapter on the resurrection. If you ever want to talk to somebody about the resurrection, you go to Ezra chapter 15 and Paul lays this out. It's a really powerful picture of God's truth and, uh, and the hope that we have. And, and as we work through this, I, I'm, I'm hoping that God will work in, in this passage in our hearts so that we would have the hope of the gospel, that we would have the truth of the gospel alive in us and through us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're only going to be in the first two verses. And it says this, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now that describes the gospel. Next week we'll define the gospel, which he does in verses 3 and following. And I'll read it now so that we don't miss this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that, and here's the gospel, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And so next week we'll work on defining what the gospel is, but today we're going to look at how Paul describes the gospel. And I think this is an important thing for you and I. Um, I entitled this, uh, this um, message, I think I did, what is, what is an evangelical? I think it's how I, how I um, titled it in the bulletin. What is an evangelical? The word evangelical comes from this first verse where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now the Greek word for the gospel I preached to you is this word that we get the word evangelical from. It's out on our, it's out on the sign. We are faith evangelical church. That means we are, we we believe something, faith, we believe some content, some truth about Jesus Christ. We are evangelical. We preach that good news. We preach that message. And so today, as we look at this, Paul gives us, I think he gives us seven things here that describe the word evangelical. And so I hope that's a help for you and I as we go through this. Now, the reason it's in the book of 1 Corinthians is because 1 Corinthians, Paul is answering a number of questions. 1 Corinthians addresses many practical things that were dividing the church in Corinth. Questions about um, spiritual gifts, questions about marriage, questions about food that's offered to idols, um, and then questions about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the way he's written this book, it's all pointing to chapter 15, where this is sort of like the culmination of how do we understand what the gospel message is. And so as we look at this this morning, let's look at these seven things about the word evangelical, about the identity of someone who is an evangelical, someone who is who believes in the gospel, who preaches the gospel. The first thing that uh, 
I've written down here is that it's a message. What do we believe about it? What is important to know about the word evangelical? It's a message. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel or the good news that I preached to you. What's important is that this is, it's not a story. It's not a theory. It's not some hypothetical or rhetorical kind of thing. The good news is a message. Paul wasn't preaching for preaching's sake. Preaching isn't the key. Preaching the gospel is the key. Preaching the message of the life, ministry, death, sacrifice, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key. And so as as we look at this this morning, we must understand that the evangelical truth is a message. It's, it's, a, it's communicating something. Messages have purpose. Messages give information. The gospel is a message from God to his creatures. And it's always been a message. From the very beginning, God spoke to people and gave them a message of his presence, his truth, his commands, his will, his desires. Their requirements, their position, their purpose. It's always been a message. We just celebrated Christmas and we hear these angels came and said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's a message. Now, when we look at the New Testament, we see that preaching is the normal way that it is transferred. Proclaiming. Not just preaching from a pulpit or, or to a great crowd of people. Sometimes when the message is preached, it's preached at a dinner table. It's proclaimed. But it's a message, something that is shared. In this passage, we see that Paul preached it in verse 1. We see in verse 2. We see in verse 11. We see in verse 14. This is a message that Christ or that Paul had proclaimed. Right? That's in verse 12. He proclaimed this. We see down in verse 15 that it was a testimony. This message is something that came from people about something specific. This morning it's very important. As I was thinking through, does this mean anything to me, this message from 2,000 years ago? Does it mean anything to have uh, this very dogmatic presentation of the word evangelical? What's the big deal? Well, it should mean something to us. Paul here is making a very, very important point about the lives of the Corinthians. Their lives were affected by this mission or this message. This message is a truth claim. It changes how they looked at life. It changed how they, 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 they live in the different circumstances. In this book, we see that, that marriage is based on this message. Hope and help within it. You and I, as we live with our husbands and our wives, because Jesus Christ died for our sins, because he was raised for our life, we have been given the power and the presence to graciously submit to loving, forgiving, serving, and enjoying the partner that he has given us. Because you and I know that there's a bigger picture, all of the small things that, that, that disturb us in our marriages are put into perspective because the gospel message is eternal. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
Paul says it this way, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This message makes a difference. It's telling us something. Our attitudes are grounded in this message. When we hear this message, when it takes root in us, when we recognize that Christ died for our sins and we turn to him and are forgiven, when we are given a new life, a new heart, our old life has passed away, behold, all things become new, our attitudes change. How we think about others becomes radically different. Before this message, we had to selfishly position ourselves Before this message, we had to stand up for ourselves because we felt that if we didn't, no one else would. But now, we know through this message that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, that we have a mediator who will stand up for us. It changes how we look at things. This message is important. And when Paul says this, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. He preached something to them. It was a message. Our relationships are guided by this message. We're no longer focused on what we can get out of relationships. But because Jesus Christ entrusted himself to one who judges justly, we also are able to look to God because Jesus Christ has removed that barrier. And now our relationship horizontally has changed because the vertical message has bore fruit. It's something specific. And as we look at the rest of this chapter, we're going to see that our hope is founded on this message. All of our hope. No longer are we relying on our own strength. Our own wisdom or our own financial resources, all of those things will pass away. When we die, we lose every part of that. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. And death separates us from those things. We have found those things to be utterly lacking in eternal significance. But now, now through this message, we have learned that Christ died for us to bring us to God this message is where our hope rests in the work of Christ and in his life it's a message it's specific the second thing we see here though is it's it's not a new message this isn't a new message he says now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you Why is he reminding them of it? Because it's not something new. They have heard it before. They've heard it when Paul came and preached to them at first. They heard it as he met with them and discipled them and so on. More than that, they heard it from the scriptures. That's what he says in verses 3 and verse 4. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. And look what it says. In accordance with the scriptures. This isn't a new message. It's an old message. This is very simple. And that's crucial. 
He doesn't say in verses 3 and following that every part of every message that you receive is equally important. He says this is the message that is of first importance. This old message is a message that, that, that God has given from the beginning. I mean, we see this kind of message even hinted at in the third chapter of the Bible. Where God reveals that the serpent will take his heel, the offspring's heel, but this offspring's going to come and crush his head. There's going to be one who comes who destroys the work of Satan. All the way in the third chapter of the Bible, this message is an old message. And this morning, as we look at this, it's important for us to recognize it's not anything that is new or trendy. It's a specific message. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. You see those words, which you received? This is a specific thing that he said to them that they actually had, they took. He delivered it to them. It was something that was definable. It isn't generic. It's not a generic message about God's loving and God's hope and and, and this kind of just up here in the air. It's a specific message. They received something. When Paul's talking about this, he's saying, I preach something specific to you. In the next several verses, Paul's going to whittle this message down to the very bare bones, right? And he's saying that these bare bones, this specific thing that I preach to you is of most importance. I want to challenge us today. We need to get this kind of thinking into our way of thinking more than anything else. That the gospel is specific. The gospel is the most important thing for us to think about, for us to focus on, and for us to proclaim. It's not the only thing, but it is the most important thing for every other thing that we think about to be filtered through. The reality of Jesus Christ's life, His death, and his resurrection. Everything about our lives, Christians. What is it to be an evangelical? This is the key. An evangelical is one who takes this message, this specific, concise, precise message, and filters everything about their lives through that message. Why? Because it's the most important message. That's why. He says, I, want to, I, I delivered what I had received. This is of first importance. It's primary. It's specific. And we need to get it right. We need to get it right. That's the next thing. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. And then he says this, in which you stand. It's a personal message. In which you stand. The gospel... These points of Christ's life, his death for our sins, our forgiveness, our redemption, our atonement, our washed white as snow, our being adopted into his family. This truth of what Christ has done on our behalf is our identity now. That's who we are. It's a personal message in which you stand. This is what we're 
living for. This is what we're living as. We use this kind of phrase as, you know, standing in line or, or standing up for somebody or standing with someone. This is where we are in our lives. This is where we're positioned. This is where we find ourselves. And we need to understand it's a very personal thing for you and I. When he's talking to the Corinthians, he's talking about this is who you are. This message, not all those other things that you're distracted by. This is the truth, the bare bones when you get down to it. The nitty gritty for you is what Christ has done. Personally, privately, We talk about this standing up for for what we believe. What Paul's talking about here, this message is a person, right? This message is about somebody who is actively at work in them. It's personal. If you are standing as a Christian this morning, this message is what defines you. This message is what defines you, not your vocational success, your educational level, not your financial situation. This is what defines you. Who is Christ Jesus? And what has he done in which you stand? We see that it's a good message. Verse 2, and by which you are being saved. And by which you are being saved. This is a good message. That's why it's called the evangel or the good news. Think of the exodus and deliverance we talked about last year. Think about the reality of of being in bondage and then being delivered in Ezra. The idea of being lost and then found, dead and then alive. This message by which you are being saved is a beneficial message. It's a good message. This is where our hope comes from. As Paul's writing this and he's talking to the Corinthians, he's talking about an actual transaction that happens when we hear the gospel. We are being saved. We are being changed. We are different. We are no longer dead in our trespasses, but we have been made alive together with Christ. It is a good message. The message of the the gospel actually accomplishes something. And the way Paul phrases it here, and this is something for you and I to grasp. This is not just a one-time only something. He says this, he says, and by which you are being saved. This message saves us initially, but it also saves us gradually. It also saves us throughout our life. We are being saved. What a fantastic reality. It is a good message. It saved us initially when we heard and believed. It saves us now because this is the only name by which men must be saved. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the message and the power of God is still actively at work in you and I. We weren't just saved and then delivered to heaven. We were saved and left here. And God is working in us and through us so that the world could see the power of that resurrection. It is a good message. Our lives today... Today, now, Christians, are just as dependent upon the truth of the gospel as they were initially. Have you considered this? And I'd love for you to think about it this morning. Salvation isn't just a momentary activity. 
Our salvation is a radical reality that affects us through eternity. Think about that. As I, as I think through this, as a pastor, there's a real fear in my heart that people who claimed to be saved at one time are actually more like the seed that fell on the rocky ground and sprang up, but then it died when the cares of this world came upon it. We tend to think of salvation as at one time, way back when, when I heard something and I said something and I did something, but we forget or neglect or don't even know that salvation is eternal. It means something and it looks like something. And when Paul talks here to these Corinthians, it's a challenge for you and for me. Are you being saved by this message? Salvation is not simply a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. It is living in the reality of this message of what God has done. It's an active reliance on the one who died for us and now lives for us. And it's an important message. Look what it says in, in the second part of verse 2. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, if you hold fast to it, this isn't so much a contingency as it is a reality. It's not so much dependent on us holding fast as it does us actually holding fast. Are you holding fast? Are you holding fast to that word? We saw several weeks ago that, that when it really comes down to it, we can't hold fast on our own. We need the anchor of Christ. But Paul knows that. And when he says this, he's speaking to you and I in a very real way. You and I hold fast to things all the time. We prioritize things all the time. We make choices all the time. He's saying this message needs to be central to your decision making. You're prioritizing. Are you holding fast? It's an important message. Holding fast to the word that Paul had preached, not the traditions that they had developed after Paul had left, not holding fast to their opinions about what they thought of Paul's message, and not holding fast to innovations to improve Paul's message. They were to hold fast to the message of the gospel that Paul had already preached, the old gospel. The old message. And the last one is a challenge. It is the only message. All other messages are in vain. Look what he says here. Unless you believed in vain. Does that phrase scare you? It ought to scare some of you. Unless you believed in vain. In this room today. This message ought to cause you to tremble. This is the same kind of thing where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. This is the kind of message, be sure your sin will find you out. This is the only message. All other messages are vanity. This message where it says that, that he died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He took our sins upon him. This morning, maybe there's somebody in here today who is holding on to their sin and cherishing their sin. Christ didn't die for your sin. If you're going to continue for the rest of your life 
Embracing this truth that you are God and do what you want when you want. This ought to cause you to tremble. What Paul is saying is that any straying from the content of his original message puts them in danger of believing in vain. There's only one message. This kind of language is the language of the fourth commandment, not to take the name of the Lord in vain. We've talked about this before. That fourth commandment isn't necessarily about cussing. It's not necessarily about using the Lord's name as a cuss word. It is so much more about our identity. Amy took my name. She became Amy Morse. In doing so, she was promising to be faithful to me alone. She took my name. If she breaks faith with me, she's taking my name in vain. That's the picture that we see here. She didn't need my name if she wasn't going to live by my name. We could have had a different arrangement. We could have had a different relationship. This message is the only message. Do you believe this specific message? Or are you just exercising your faith in vain? Like we talked about last week, it's not just hearing God's word, but doing it. The gospel was preached. You received it. You were identified it. You ought to have held fast to it. And you would have unless you actually didn't believe. The challenge for you and I today, the challenge for you and I today is to look at this message and see, is this what we believe? Is this what we trust? Are we actually evangelical? Is this our identity? As a pastor, I think about the reality of those who have emotionally and sentimentally believed. They responded at the end of a service and they cried and they felt something, but they've never actually received this message. They've never actually stood in this message or been saved by this message or, or held fast to this message. This message really hasn't made that big of a difference to them in the first place. Church, the challenge for you and I is, do we let them continue to live as if this message is important to them? Or do we say, hey, there's a specific message and we all need to turn to it. This morning as we close. Do you know the message? Do you know this message? Maybe this morning you need to be reminded of the simple focus of this message. It's not a new message. We're not proclaiming something innovative or, or trendy or, 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 or appealing to our culture. It's the same message that God has proclaimed. It's not new. Maybe this morning you need to hear it and consider it. Maybe this morning you need to, to look around at where you're standing Maybe you need to consider the significance of what Christ has done for you or to you or in you. Who are you? Maybe this morning you've been challenged to consider whether or not Paul's message is the message you've come to know. Is this the gospel that you know? Is this the message that you've heard? Maybe today you've loosened your grip on it. Maybe you realize that you have not held fast to it.
the wonderful reality of this message is, church, Jesus Christ is the center of this message. When we look down here, he's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who was buried. He's the one who was raised. It depends on him. Look to him today. Trust in him today. Maybe you're wondering if today you you actually believed in vain. Maybe you believed something, but it wasn't this message. You went through some kind of motions before, but now that you're being faced with it, maybe you didn't actually hear this simple message. If so, Paul's appeal to you would be, Jesus Christ died for sinners in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Verse 11, he says, So we preach... And so you believe. This morning, maybe you need to look to the Scriptures. Maybe this morning you need to turn to the Scriptures. Maybe in your heart and mind, you need to recognize that it is this simple message that you need to cut everything off for and engage in. It's simple. Paul says this, Call in the name of the living Lord and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Christians, this is our hope and help today. This is what we need to do, continuing to be saved by the gospel, living and walking in this truth. Let's pray. Good Lord Jesus, work in our souls today. Help our hearts and our minds to look to you as the author and finisher of our faith. It is your message Help our souls to see you and to know you for your glory's sake. Amen.